0: So this week we began a new sermon series. It's entitled, And God Said. And it, we look at some texts where God is speaking to us. And uh, then we have kind of a, a provocative title. Uh, today we're going to talk about, And God Said, Do Whatever You Want. Uh, next week we're going to talk about, And God Said, Get Over Yourself. It's not about you. So um, I went to a baby shower Um, last night, and it brought to mind uh, when I had my first child and all of my children. And it's really not until you're a parent that you, I think, have an appreciation for how God might feel about each one of us. Because we as parents, we we all have a preferred future, a dream for our child, right? Right? This is what our vision is for our child. But like us, our children are creatures of free will. I mean, we can tell them what the rules are. We can tell them what the consequences are. Um, We can even tell them, oh, that's hot, and then let them touch it to find out what hot means, right? But at the end of the day, no matter the dream we have, for our child, our children will make their own way in the world. And I, as a parent, so much want to download all of the mistakes that I made to my children so that they will not make them. I mean, we say things like to our children who are driving, um, don't make unprotected left turns onto 1960. Or if if you're the first one at the stoplight, don't immediately go when it turns green because you know there's four more cars coming through the intersection. So wait till they're gone. We, We try to teach these things to our children, but then they go and do. We have this preferred dream for our child, and they go and do. I think it's the same with us. God has a preferred future for us, a dream for each one of us of what our relationship with him looks like, what our life looks like. But we go and do what we want. Humans are creatures of free will. I believe that is important to God. So our text today comes from the book of Genesis. We're looking at two, two stories. The first comes from the second chapter, and it's just Adam and God. And then uh, the second one we're looking at comes from Genesis 3, and it's, it's called the fall. It's where original sin is seen here. So in Genesis two sixteen, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, who in this case is Adam, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And then we go to Genesis 3, and uh, Eve is now on the scene as well. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say that you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good good For themselves so look very closely at today's scripture it's just Adam and God look what God says says you can eat of any tree but this one and then he gives them some consequences right you can eat of any tree But if you eat of this one, you will die. Sound familiar? Does it maybe sound like you can stay by yourself this weekend, but you can't have anybody over and no parties? Or you'll be in big trouble. God says to Adam, you may eat of any tree But this, God gave him a choice, God told him the consequences. And we know from our experience as human beings that our decisions, what we decide to do, have consequences. We try to pass on to our children the mistakes that we made so they don't make them. But oftentimes, they do anyway. Now, let's take a look at chapter 3. This is really where the meat of it is. Sounds a little bit like a fable, almost, with a talking snake, right? It's one of, I think, three talking animals in Scripture. So we've got Adam and Eve are together. She you catch that at the end? For Adam was with her. So the snake comes up, and notice how he presents his argument. He says, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. So he, he like really frames it in the negative, right? He, he frames it in such a way as to make God kind of look like a bully or, or make God look unreasonable. Oh, look, God said you can't eat from any tree in the garden. Now, to Eve's credit, she comes to God's defense and goes, no, no, no. He said, we can eat from any tree of the garden but this one. And and did you catch it in the text? She says, we can't eat from it, nor can we even touch it, or we shall die. Now, this may be an instance of the very first communication gap in the history of the world. Because we just read in the first section... What God said to Adam. He says, Don't eat of it or you will die. He doesn't say anything about touching it. So I have this image of Adam telling Eve, Look, we can eat of anything but this tree. In fact, you can't even touch this. So don't even touch it or eat it, for we will die. Then the serpent says to her, You won't die. You will become like God if you eat that fruit. You know what? I might have eaten that pomegranate. I mean, really, at the end of the day, to be like God is kind of a good thing. I mean, isn't that what I strive to do with most of my life is to be more Christ-like, Be more like Jesus? And so Eve eats of this. Now I will tell you throughout history, Eve as woman has been bashed for having eaten the apple or the pomegranate or whatever it is that she ate. It's like, oh, if Eve hadn't done that, we'd have been okay. Did you catch it in the text? Adam was right there with her the whole time. He watched the whole thing go down. She ate it. She said, hey, this is pretty good. Try it. And he did. So it's not like woman brought all this woe upon the world. They did it together. So in this instance, right, this is the very first moment that we as humans Get to choose. And we mess it up. We, we do our will. We do what we want, not what God wants. Not among the rules that God set out. I mean, this is the original sin. It's not the actually eating of the apple. It is the breaking of God's will. Us choosing our will over God's. That's the sin, not the eating of the apple or the pomegranate or or whatever that first fruit was. Eve was tempted by this fruit because it was beautiful and looked good. And we both bought into it. We gave in. From these scriptures, we see that it is in our nature to do what we want. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we're wired up, is to do what we want. So so the big question for me is, if God's going to give us rules... Why would he create us in such a way that we have the ability to ignore them, to break them? Why did God give us free will? It's because he loves us. Because he wants to be in relationship with us. I mean, where is the love And creating an automaton that just goes around doing exactly what God tells it to do. No. God created us to love him and to be loved by him. We read in scripture that God created us in his image. I don't believe for a second we look like God. I don't believe for a minute we act like God. I don't believe we have the power that God has. I think what it means for us to be made in the image of God is that we were meant to be in relationships. We we as humans, like God, are meant to be in community. Both with one another and with God. That, I believe, is what it means for us to have been made in the image of God. God gave us free will because he loves us. He wants us to be able to choose to love him. And in that free will we have the ability to utterly reject God and even make the claim that he does not exist. A foolish claim, I would argue, but one that we can make. I mean, God gives us the free will so much that we could choose to be an axe murderer or or choose to rise to the ranks and commit some genocide. We have that capability. God gave us the freedom to literally do whatever we want. What is the nature of God to be in relationship with us and it is our nature to be in relationship with God and one another? John Eldred is an author that has written a bunch of books And he kind of is oriented particularly around men's ministry and men's faith. And he calls God the great romancer. He makes the case that God is constantly in pursuit of you. No matter how far, no matter how hard you run, God is still pursuing you. Loving you. Giving you the opportunity To love him back. I mean, that's just a remarkable claim that the God of the universe loves you so much that he is constantly pursuing you, (coughs) constantly wooing you. God loves us so much that he became one of us to die on a cross that we might be saved. What remarkable love is this, that God is willing to go to that length? We have to choose to love God back. There's a German American author, That was around in the in the forties and fifties, a guy named Eric Fromm. He was sort of a psychologist, sociologist. He thought a lot about big picture. But he has these two definitions of love that I really like. The first is that love is not just a feeling, it is a decision, a judgment, a promise. God is a, love is a decision. God has decided that he is going to love us no matter what. The second one I really like. He says that love is an activity. If I love, I am in a state of constant and active concern with the loved. Think about that. God loves you. If you understand this definition of love, that means God is actively concerned about you every moment of your life. I don't know about you, but that sort of love, that sort of grace strains my brain. I mean, who are we that God would love us like that? actively concerned, and actively in a relationship with us, loving us every day of our life, and then actually beyond. I love that idea that that God is actively pursuing me, actively concerned about me and my life. Then one of the early church fathers, one of the earliest theologians is Augustine, In Texas, we might call him Augustine, but I had a professor that said, look, people, Augustine is the grass, Augustine is the theologian. But Augustine says this, he who made us without our help will not save us without our consent. God loves you. God has a dream for you, and God's dream for you includes eternal life, life in relationship with him forever in a way that we really can't wrap our brains around. How awesome it would be. That's God's preferred future for you. But you have to say yes. God will not save you without your consent. You have free will. Every day, God is asking you choose me, choose life, choose Jesus. Have you? Have you made that choice to be in a right relationship with God through our Savior, Jesus? You surely cannot save yourself. Only God's grace does that. But God will not save you without your consent. God loves you. God is calling you. God is wooing you. Yet, he loves you so much that he allows you to turn your back on him. Won't you love him? Won't you say yes to the grace that has been given to us in Jesus, because God loves you so very much. He is calling your name every moment of every day. That's how deep God's love is for you. Let us pray. Gracious God, holy God, who are we? What are we that you would have this kind of love for us? Truly, we we don't understand it. We want to be in a relationship with you, God. We want to hear your words. We want to have them written on our hearts. We want to celebrate the gift of grace that is given to us. We want to say yes to that grace. And when we know that grace, Father, help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to be more Christ-like in all that we do, in all that we are, all that we say. We are grateful that you are in pursuit of us every single day. Help us to say yes to your grace. Help us to be more like our Savior Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.